Hello and welcome to Bend the Knee, a song of ice and fire podcast. I am Sir Matt the Traveler. And I am Sir Jimmy of House Nuts, Lord of the Staff Infection. Welcome to our Song of Ice and Fire book club. Today we are into A Storm of Swords Tyrion 3. And uh, this one's a doozy. Anytime a chapter starts out with a small council, you know it's going to be a banger. And there is a lot in this chapter that I think is fantastic. So, And plus, it's a Tyrion chapter, so how could you really go wrong? But before we get into all that, Matt, how you doing? I am doing okay, man. Uh, my work is on strike. Largest healthcare strike ever in America. Crazy. Um, so I'm just, my phone's been like blowing up all day. I'm leaving for Italy. We're, we're as I'm recording this, I'm leaving tomorrow. We're going to Florence and then Venice and then Rome. So I can answer that age old question. How often, you know, do men think about the Roman empire? Uh, often enough for me to go. So <laughs> yeah, and I uh, got married, got married last year and got COVID on the honeymoon. So this is kind of like our, we wanted to redo do over. Yeah. Re redo over. Uh, so yeah, so we're like, all right, we're gonna we're gonna do it, and it just so happened to time up with that work strike. So just crazy. I'm just trying to run around the house, getting everything going. But uh, yeah, Jimmy and I are gonna bang out here a huge chapter. I mean, this is uh, some speaking of weddings a little bit. You know, this is uh, like the prelude to a red wedding, red wedding, and then some other forced marriages that people don't want to be in, and and alliances, and then just mm -hmm. oh my god like having to navigate the history of houses and who you're going to piss off if you marry who to who and this is the best of the political stuff until we get to a dance with dragons in marine and it's just so good and it shows how capable by the way uh that uh tywin is tywin is so capable and definitely drops hints here um at some things yeah. that end up happening so I think Tywin's knowledge and plans extend further than sometimes we remember, but uh, I'm I'm excited for you to go to Italy just so you can tell me how good the bread and the pasta is. Oh, I'm I just so hear excited. it so good. I'm be drinking wine and eating oh. everything and demanding gabagool every. I'll say you need to be Tony Soprano. Yeah, I need to just like breathe really heavy. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? You know. Yeah. I love the episode where uh, in Sopranos where they go to Italy and they're like, oh, why isn't it red so sauce? <laughs> yeah. Where's the gravy? So Where's <laughs> so the gravy? Yeah. Uh, dude, like these fake it's, Italians. It's so right. Funny. I know. My wife, you know, Teresa is like learning all this Italian so that she can actually like, you know, navigate and get us places and stuff like that. And I was like, I've seen enough Sopranos to know all the Italian I need. Okay. Chicken Parmesan. That's about Gabagool it. and Gumad. She's like, what's a Gumad? I was like, it's a mistress. I don't know. I've heard it in the Sopranos. So, yeah. You know. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, yeah I think the show's aged well. Hopefully you're not oh. just like throwing out some like code slur or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, let's, let's hope not. You know, I did take Latin in high school. So, you know, with a combination of what I've learned from the Sopranos and remembering <laughs> some Latin, you know, which is still somewhat part of that culture over there i can kind of piece it together i mean you're basically italian at that point yeah right. i mean hey when we're in when you're in uh florence or venice whichever one it is up up there i mean boom croatia's right there hop on it's over there like, go see me or Cro -Cro i want i want to man i want to go right there we're flying through london too which is kind of cool i mean are you going to do anything in london no, we're there for an hour, but I am definitely going to walk up to like, you know, someone and say, hello, hello, hello. <laughs> to you just be people? the most 
annoying American I can possibly be. <laughs> Where can I find some Yorkshire tea? Yeah. Just the worst. Just the ab- the ab- the absolute worst. Are you going to wear a fanny pack? Um, no, I don't think so. Oh, big big mistake. I uh, I'm telling you, fanny packs are they travel? in over there? Oh, I don't care if they're in. They're useful. They're very practical. I uh, I don't travel without a fanny pack now. In fact, uh, I can fit my Kindle in there. My headphones fold up and go in there. I mean, it's just incredible. It is like it's like a twelve-hour flight, which I'm scared about because I don't like flying over the ocean. And you've had your your issues with your back. I mean, I, I'm yeah, I know. I am a little nervous. I am a little nervous about that. I've also, uh, you know, it's a twelve-hour flight, so I'm going to have to use the 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 bathroom on the airplane, and I've never used one, and it scares me. Well, you and I are big guys, and uh, the I'm the airplanes are not. You're not holding it for twelve hours. That, <laughs> I'm gonna I'm though. gonna purpose I'm gonna purposely dehydrate. I'm scared. I don't want to get I don't want to get sucked out. Have you ever seen those TikToks or the Instagram reels? It's like day day thirty seven of no poop November. Oh, dude, they're so ridiculous. <laughs> That's what I imagine you on the plane. <laughs> I'm gonna selectively dehydrate myself, dude. I I'm nervous. I know I've just I've never gone to the bathroom on the plane ever. It's no super how, even if it I can't I, it scares me. Hey, I can't fit. Yeah. My I'm just gonna eat nothing. I'm ass. just gonna eat nothing but cheese, so I don't have to worry about it. <laughs> well, that will be true, I think. I've I've just heard that uh in Italy the pasta is so much lighter. Like people say it's yeah. not nearly it's not here, filling but and... in general. Yeah. Yeah, so I'd be curious to see with you reporting back because um I, I don't know anyone. I Well, I know a couple people have personally been to Italy, but they're not they're not really big into, you know, f- they're not foodies, you know, and I know yeah. I know Teresa, Lady Teresa. Tre- Teresa. Teresa is a foodie. Yeah, she's so. a food. She's a food critic. In fact, she's a she. Hey, sure. Her, her, her. She's like a pretty big Google review. Like a lot of her Google reviews for restaurants and everything. Yeah, like. she's like famous in that sphere. I would. Say. Yeah. So. Yeah, I'm 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 definitely excited for the food. We also got tickets to the Coliseum and we have we, we it's actually really difficult to get the underground tickets, but we get to go see that, which I'm Are like, they still fighting to the death over there? Or? No, it's nobody uses it anymore, but I'm going to go I'm going to go see the underground, which is kind of cool. And then technically we'll also I think we're we're going to go see the Vatican, which does count as another country. Mm, they have a lot of secrets in there. It's kind of like they the do. Citadel, if you think about it. It really is. That's a great comparison. It's I think there's all. Cor- I think there's all kinds of secrets in the Vatican. But I think it's just a bunch of nudie mags. If I'm being honest, it, it, it could be. Yeah, I think it's just playboys, hustlers. Yeah. <laughs> mm, well, how how you doing, Jimmy? Are you doing all right, man? Well, you know, one of these days I'll take that long, long sleep and not have to. Do Jesus. <laughs> You know, once I'm gone, don't I don't want to be a white. I don't want to come back. Oh, I, Jesus, I don't wanna, bro. I don't even want to know how much the funeral costs. Um, nah, you know, I'm doing poorly, but it's all good. I like talking about Westeros. Um, the staff infection just won't go away. Just continuously keeps coming back and wrecking me. So uh, that's not exactly super duper fun. But uh, outside of that, you know, things are good. Can't complain. People have it a lot worse. So yeah, and uh, my wife just dropped me off a of coffee. So. Things are looking up. Nice. Yes, what kind of coffee you. are you drinking? Do you drink it black or do you? What do you I just drink you black coffee, coffee because if you don't and you have this like special thing you need to do with your coffee, you're going to get disappointed places. If you get black coffee, it's the same everywhere, right? I mean, different types of coffee, but it's black. Co- you can't mess it up. 
I don't know. Do you now do you now do you wash your mug or do you drink it like the hardcore way where the people don't wash their mug and they drink like they're black? Wait, what? Oh yeah, dude, that's a thing. Oh no. Especially in the military. Yeah. What with the free folk, maybe? No, it's a thing. So there's there are people that they don't wash their coffee mug ever. They just black coffee in their coffee mug, but they don't wash it because they think it like it adds more flavor to it. Okay, I disagree. I'm pretty sure like coffee mugs and pots can get mold in them. Like that doesn't sound healthy. That's, that's what they do, man. There are some people out there that do that, do that, that drink black coffee. It's, apparently it's a big deal in the military. Well, none of our listeners do that. I mean, I, I, I think there might be. Hey, how big are we in Italy, by the way? I don't know. I can look at the numbers. Probably yeah, can not you look big. it up? I'm, I'm really gonna. Curious. Um, I will. I will. I will get it. Get it pulled up here as we, uh, as we begin to dive in here. We got. Uh, we got a lot. We got a lot to break down. I'll pull. I'll pull those numbers up here. One. Give me one second here. While Jimmy entertains the, the Matt was like, well. "My God, did he really have to bring it up?" Because now I really see. Here's the thing about Sir Matt is that, that Sir Matt is driven by stats and numbers. That is true. And if I want to know what a number is, he has to find out. Like, there's no way we can continue this episode. Without we we there. We, we are. We are not. Um, let's see here. Oh, we're not doing so well in Italy. Well, Italy is flight. Italy is less than one percent of our total listeners. Well, but I am going to the UK, which is second on the list. At so here, this is actually kind of interesting. So seventy percent is the US, which makes most sense. Eight percent is the United Kingdom. Four point eleven percent is Australia, Canada, then Saudi Arabia. Above Germany, Sweden, Pakistan. Pakistan, stand up. Come on now. Rise up. So here's all the places that are above uh, Italy. Pakistan, Brazil, Norway, Thailand, Somalia, Finland, Bulgaria, India, I Vietnam. Do love, I do love India and I do love Finland. The Syrian Arab Republic, Cambodia. Yeah, all above Italy. Yeah, Cam Cambodia, definitely big Ben the Knee fans for sure. But Saudi Arabia, I'm excited. I'm, you know, I guess they must speak. They, they must speak English over there. <laughs> the way you said that is as if you, you <laughs> thought that no one had ever speaking English in Saudi Arabia. Well, I mean, I'm just, I'm just, just I'm the just way saying, you said like, it. But, but even, but then it's like Germany. I mean, I, you know, they speak English there, but you know, I just would imagine. It's, I mean, we're I, I, it, it it just always surprises me when people from other countries that where English is not the, the primary language. You know. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Outside of America, people are much more willing to learn other languages, especially in Europe, where the countries are very closely tied together. Right. Like you can, you, you know, you might just it, you're in one country, you might be in the next country in 30 minutes. Right. And in America, right. there is this like pride and like not speaking other languages. Like I speak English and America hey. and that's that's what I do. You know, it's just I've literally Teresa speaks Teresa speaks fluent Spanish. She lived in Spain for like a year, so we'll we're see, gonna she's cultured. She travels. We're gonna Spanish. hope that it can it can get us going there. So my family uh, does not speak other languages. They don't leave. No, the they, they don't. Even, they speak American. They actually speak, they speak West Virginia. They speak West Virginian, yes, which is totally do. which is totally different. Yeah, there's something about like the coal chemicals in the water. It like, you know, there's a there, there's actually a good question because um, why aren't there more 
um why aren't there more accents in game in like westeros hmm i mean we obviously have the nation the it's, nation it's text right? right it's text so you know i don't know that's actually a pretty good point though i mean george does play with the way people talk like like there's the way they pronounce words and stuff like in different regions like as far as like you know the free folk have like a very almost like Faulkner type level uh, when they talk where it's like that, that down South Gothic novel feel. Uh, and then obviously he plays around with like Eastern inspirations whenever he heads over to Essos and then Westeros is just England essentially. Um, but they're in the subsections of these places. It doesn't, not that I can think of, I don't think they really talk much differently. Do they? Not really. Yeah. There's, there are cultural differences because Dorne is very different than say high garden. Uh, right. but I don't think in the way they talk. So that's something that maybe George could have done a little bit more with possibly. Yeah. Okay. Let's, uh, let's dive in here to Tyrion three, where basically without saying it, Tywin Lannister is saying, I think it's a nice day for a red wedding. Cause that's mm -hmm. basically what he's hinting at, <laughs> uh, here. So this, uh, intro here is a doozy. So bear with me for a second. So, the small council meets to discuss the progress of the war, and Tyrion learns that Lancel is still near death. Randall Tarly defeated, the Northmen attacking Duskendale, with Hyman Tallhart reportedly dead, and Robert Glover fleeing west and being chased by Gregor Cagain. Tywin informs them that Devon Lannister is rounding up a new army and will join with the men from the Golden Tooth and march on River Run when Robb Stark returns north. They all agree that Rob will march from O'Kalen, for he is a king without a kingdom. Kevin reveals that Balon Greyjoy has sent letters with terms of alliance. Greyjoy wants the North, but Tywin says they will not treat they will not treat with Balon while other options may present themselves. Littlefinger agrees to go to the Eyrie to marry Lysa Aaron, and once he is uh, consort, deliver the Veil of Aaron into Tywin's hands. Since Littlefinger will be leaving with a, within a day, Tyrion is named Master of Coins. Pycelle informs them that 300 Dornishmen ride for King's Landing in response to Tyrion's negotiations, despite the hatred between Dorne and Highgarden that has gone on for hundreds of years. Mace Tyrell does not like the idea of Dornishmen riding across the Reach. Tyrion considers how the Lord of Highgarden talked like a general, although he had never won a decisive battle. His victory over Robert Baratheon at Ashford has won was won by Randall Tarley and the Siege of Storm's End that lasted for a year without result until Eddard Stark relieved the castle. Garland Tyrell has been named, named Lord of Brightwater Keep since Alistair Florent is a traitor. Varys brings word of a three-headed dragon being born in Karth and that the Night's Watch is begging for help against a wildling army. Lord Tywin does not want to hear about the rumors of dragons and is disinterested in the news of wildlings claiming that if the wall is overrun, the Starks and Greyjoys will have the new enemy to deal with, even speculating they may be able to make a deal with Mance Raider. Mm -hmm. Overriding the attempts of Varys and Tyrion to have gold cloaks who deserted during the Battle of the Blackwater. Forced to take the black, he adjourns the meeting, asking Tyrion, Cersei, and Kevin to stay. Tyrion warns them not to trust Littlefinger with this quest to the Vale, but Tywin is resolute, believing it better to have Baelish ruling the Vale as opposed to the likes of Jon Royce or Lynn Corbray. He adds that Littlefinger has proven his loyalty, telling Tyrion that just one just the other day, Baelish informed him of the plot by the Tyrells to bring Sansa to Highgarden and marry her to Willis. The Hand is aware that 
and should Mace Tyrell ask leave to bring Sansa to Highgarden, they must consent or else offer that or else offend the Tyrells. Tywin wishes to circumvent this problem by offering Cersei's hand in marriage to Willis. Cersei and adamantly refuses but her father has the final say and cersei storms out of the room in a fury tywin then tells Tyrion that he will wed sansa stark further solidifying the lannister's position because should rob die and sansa and Tyrion have a son that child would become lord of winterfell Tyrion protests arguing that a marriage to sansa is worthless while the greyjoys hold the north and question why he isn't being forced into a marriage with Balon's daughter, but Tywin counters that the Ironborn won't rule the North, they will just plunder it. Uniting the Northmen against them, which the Lannisters can use to retake the North when Tyrion brings Ned Stark's grandson home to claim his birthright. Tyrion argues again, protesting that Sansa is still a child, but Tywin retorts with Cersei's testimony the girl has flowered. Tyrion suggests sending the girl back to her mother as a gesture of goodwill that might make Rob Stark bend the knee, but Tywin coldly retorts that if they do that, Sansa will be married off to one of the northern or river lords to shore up her brother's alliances. Tywin adds that this marriage to the northern or river lords to shore up the brother's... Oh, sorry. I... Uh, read that again my bad Tywin adds that this marriage is a reward for Tyrion's previous service and threatens that if Tyrion won't go through it, it they will marry Sansa off to Lancel or another of his cousins and find Tyrion another bride and threat of being married to Lolly's Stokeworth as well as the prospect of being made Lord of Winterfell if he is denied Castle Rock is enough to cow Tyrion as a last attempt to protest Tyrion argues that any claim Sansa might have to Winterfell will be made a revel irrelevant when her brother gets a child from whichever Frey girl he marries and learns to his surprise that Rob Stark has broken his pledge with the phrase and married Jane Westerling. Sir Kevin reveals that Lord Westerling's wife is a Spicer, a house of extremely low birth, having descended from traitors. Tyrion is confused by the lack of fury in his father's eyes at this betrayal by the Westerlings. A house sworn to Casterly Rock, Lord Tywin states, Jane Westerling is her mother's daughter and Rob Stark is his father's son Woo! a lot a lot there, <laughs> foreshadowing a... plans uh past grievances history pushed into this and then furthering of descent between family members i mean this is as good as a song of ice and fire gets right here i i mean i really think that this is maybe the best example of a song of ice and fire and no no doubt it would come to the pov of of the great Tyrion lannister here uh where we see him be inconsistent even in his own brain where he thinks Cersei is willing to kill him and kill other people, but then still kind of wishes she would stand up to his dad. And I mean, just so there's, good. Yeah. There's so, so, so much to uh, break down with this uh, chapter. Um, but I guess the, one of the things I want to start with actually, Jimmy, and I want to toss this question to you because it's something I've never really thought about until I was really thinking about this today. Tywin Lannister is a freak. I mean, we know he is, but this, all of this entire maneuvering he's doing here, of course, we know how it plays out. So I think sometimes we view this from like, we know Red Wedding is going to happen. We, because, you know, the show and the book and see and everything. But Tywin, this is all like excellent political maneuvering. Oh, it's, it, you know, that is the, the way you play the Game of Thrones, ladies and gentlemen. Like Tywin Lannister is killing it right now. Uh, and, I think it's pretty obvious. Are we going to go through it chronologically or do you want to talk about it from like a wide up perspective? Cause I don't want to jump too far ahead if you don't want to. 
whichever whichever way you want to whichever way you want to do it uh i'm fine with i think this chapter's so big that i'm fine with just kind of jumping around if you mm -hmm. want i think i okay. think that's and, ju and you're like big, doing like big takeaways and i think i prefer I think it yeah because it's because it's it, this is a massive like some long chapters are just long this is like super there's a lot going on it's long and dense that's what she said. Okay, so yeah. uh, actually, de density would not be. Anyways, whatever. I'm not even. I've never heard her say that. So I not <laughs> never not once. Yeah, <laughs> I pay him to say it in flea bottom. Right. <laughs> anyways, sorry. Uh, I'm good for one awful remark a show. Uh, last week was Sam's Wiener, and then this. There week... we go. We've yet to get I... iTunes complaints about it, but you know, eventually we will. So yeah, here's, we I'm just sorry, roll with folks. it. Matt can replace me at some point, I'm sure. There'll probably be a time where he's able to get like AI Ezra. Well, <laughs> I, if I'll just I'll just I'll just get AI uh George R. R. Martin at some point. And oh yes, boats, boats and trains. Yes. <laughs> uh, all right. So Tywin Lannister 100 percent got the Westerlings to give Jane up and tempt Rob Stark. Do I think Jane Westerling did it on purpose? No, I think Jane Westerling is actually innocent in this whole thing. And Tywin Lannister says that she is her her uh, mother's daughter for sure. And just the way it's all stated and then talking about uh, the reigns of Castamere and then Tywin holding back a grin on that last page of the chapter. I think Tywin Lannister put the Westerlings in position to do this or the Westerlings did fall into this and then Tywin was able to to kind of pin them on it and then get them to do what he wanted. Right. Like. The parents find out that Jane has fallen in love with Rob Stark and they hit up Tywin and they're like, we're so sorry. And he's like, well, no, this is great because now we can do a red wedding. And I think that the phrase at this point most likely are aware of what's going to be going down. And Tywin, without a doubt, had it, had a hand in it. He knew about it. Uh, I think me and you have actually pondered that question in the past. Like, how much did Tywin know? Uh, we talked about the Robert Baratheon stuff, but we've also talked about the red wedding. I mean, it is abundantly clear now. Uh, on this like seventh reread of these books for me, you know, Tywin without a doubt knew and Tyrion is not piecing it together now, but he will piece it together after the events that his father knew all along. Yeah. I want to get this pulled up here too. this, just the last paragraph too, because also we starts with mayhaps, which mayhaps. is the ultimate George way of telling there's a deception going on here, right? Mm -hmm. That's like the hidden part of the hidden code. We always talk about here in a song of ice and fire talking about mayhaps they have, or Tywin says, they are well aware of Castamere, I promise you. Could the Westerlings and Spicers be such great fools also to believe that the wolf can defeat the lion? Every once in a very long while, Lord Tywin Lannister would actually threaten to smile, but he never did. But the threat alone was terrible to behold. The greatest fools are often, oftentimes more clever than the men who laughs at them, he said, Tyrion. You will marry Sansa Stark, Tyrion, and soon. So yeah. it's also like Tyrion there is thinking, you know, he's thinking about this, but really it's like he's playing Tyrion for the fool here too. I mean, he's playing the whole, everyone for the fool. And there's a lot of meanings to this. So obviously we have laughed at the phrase, and this is also what uh, Catelyn kind of talks about with Rob and like and the way everyone's treating the phrase. And she's like, you know, Lord Walter has been around a long time, has a lot of descendants and has a very important piece of land. You should take him serious even though he's always late to everything. So it, it plays to that. But also in a weird way, I think Tywin has not comedically laughed at Tyrion, but has laughed Tyrion off as someone who he just has to put up with because he has his last name. And it turns out that Tyrion has one last moment where he actually ends 
uh, Tywin, right? And Tyrion ends up right. killing him. So it almost kind of extends itself to that. Now, that's not as uh, tight as, say, the Frey example. The Frey example is perfect. Uh, and then obviously the Westerlings as well. So it's just there's this thing about this story where these very old and prominent houses that have fallen a little bit out of favor because of because of Robert's rebellion, for the most part, they are like returning to prominence. It's very mm -hmm. interesting. Yeah, you know, I mean, this this would be something to do at at some point to do like a like a like a shit like all these houses and how and how like a like a power ranking scale, you know, like like how how they move up and down throughout the series and everything. You know, one of my one of my takeaways here from this, Jimmy, is we've talked about before at the end when Tyrion gets or at the end of um the like Game of Thrones when Tyrion gets named Han Hand of the King and Tywin offers him, you know, saying, "Hey, I don't want you to take your whore to the court." You know, here and it's almost like he's saying, "Hey, I'm giving you an opportunity." Tyrion, we know, in a way, he blund he does blunder because he does take Shay, even though Tywin told him not to. Which we we see actually at the end of Clash of Kings, beginning of Storm of Swords. Tyrion's in his room; he's been hurt. He's no longer hand of the king. Tywin is still actually here. I always kind of forget about this. Tywin does legitimately offer him like a reward. Nobody else does. Nobody else says, "Yeah." No, like you know Tyrion talks about like people won't Varys says people won't really sing your your praises for winning the battle of the blackwater but you did but tywin legitimately still here is offering Tyrion a reward it's just not the reward Tyrion wants even though you know because we we feel bad for sansa and everything it's an amazing reward because tywin at this point is still legitimately thinking i've got yes. rob stark dead and i'm going to name Tyrion the heir to winterfell you are going to go take Winterfell. I mean, what more, you know, could you possibly want? There, there isn't. I mean, besides than, your whore, <laughs> yeah, and Casterly I mean, Rock, right? He wants Casterly right. Rock, but so there is also an assumption in the way Tywin talks in this chapter that Rob Stark is a problem that has already been dealt with, mm -hmm. and the, this is a good example of that. And politically, there is no better, I would say, possible move for Tyrion than this. And if Tyrion had grown up like a Jamie or a Cersei, I think without the incest, I think that he would be a Lannister just like his father. And he would capitalize on this. He would not have any sympathy for Sansa, but because he grew up as a Lannister. So in this place of privilege, yet was still laughed at cast down upon it built in some sort of sympathy for other broken things and bastards. Like he says in book one, right. And I think that he sees this Sansa Stark girl as someone who is very sympathetic and broken and in a terrible spot. And because of his, um, you know, being a dwarf and being treated the way he is, he can't get past that. There is a human element to him that seems to be missing in Tywin Lannister. Um, I wonder how much of that is from the way Tywin was raised. I wonder how much of that has to do with his his wife dying as well. Uh, and just everything that went down with the Mad King. I, I, I always wonder if Tywin was always this ruthless because uh, he is so, so brat. Like he's, he's, he's the worst. <laughs> he's the best at the game, but he's the worst human. Um, man, Winterfell from a political standpoint, though, you really can't, you couldn't imagine any better. But do you think before, before yeah. we move on, I have a question. Do you think it's a double meaning here or like a backhanded compliment kind of because he's putting a dwarf you know who everyone's rejected marriage proposal wise and he's putting him as the lord of winterfell so kind of making a mockery of winterfell in a way 
Oh, that's a good. That's a good point. Yeah, probably as well. Like, look it at these stars. They they went against me, and now I'll have their best heir and daughter um, marry my dwarf son, the worst of my litter. I know, but Tyrion, it, but it yes and no. That's why it's that's why Tywin is the ultimate political schemer. Yeah, because I mean, it's, it's a great it's, move. It, well, it's also it's also a super move for Tyrion, and he really. If if Tyrion weren't so like one in love with Shay and two so aggressively hate you know having all this hate towards his father because he also has to sit there and look at Cersei get told off first and then he gets to Tyrion. Mm -hmm. I mean, he legitimately still offers a Tyrion thing, but Tyrion misses just how how great of an opportunity this actually could be because you could still make the argument that Tyrion shouldn't be given Castle Rock right now because Tywin is alive and Tywin is hand of the king, so technically Castle Rock is his until he mm -hmm. dies. That's right. So Tyrion could go to Winterfell with Sansa as his wife, have kids. He could hand his son Winterfell. And when Tywin dies, goes take Casterly Rock. And now he has two massive, like strongholds in the entire seven. He owns two of the seven kingdoms. Yeah. I mean, like, probably would Tyrion, more Tyrion totally, Tyrion totally doesn't, uh, he doesn't even see like how significant of a thing this is. Yeah, so what would happen most likely is that Tywin would probably try to leave the rock to Tommen if 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 Joffrey's alive and king, right? Like sure. he would take the rock. So you would see a you would see a Lannister civil war with Tyrion leading the North forces against Casterly Rock, which is a crazy idea. I mean that is that would be that's a great alternate timeline, right? Like ten right. years in the future or something like that. Uh, but yeah, without a doubt, politically, I mean, this is as good as Tyrion could ever get. And that's why it's great, because Tywin is giving up Winterfell, which honestly he doesn't care about. He's getting the spit in their face a little bit, and he's still going to give Tyrion uh, a place of power to make the Lannisters look good on the globe, or I should say the national scale. And uh, it gets Tyrion in a good place with him and gets him out of court. It gets him away. You know, this is yeah. this is as good as a move as you could do. And it also stifles the Tyrell's plans, which have been found out in this chapter by Peter Baelish. And I have no idea how he found out because Cersei says, that's my little dove. Of course, I have eyes on it. And Peter Baelish is being all like, eh. which Baelish, by the way, in this chapter is just creepy. Just such a creep. What a well-written character. But man, do I hate him like his presumption that he's going to go sleep with light. He's like, Oh, I have the answer between my legs. Like he literally says yeah. that. I'm like, Ugh. um, but he says that he found out that the Tyrells want to marry her off the Willis. How did he find that out? Yeah. I want to know. Well, see one of the, the one of the things that we, am I correct in the, I'm, am I misremembering this? that in is it in in game of thrones and of course this is the show in game of thrones it doesn't because we and we don't know in the book we in the book we technically don't it's never explicitly stated that it's the queen of thorns who kills joffrey although you know yeah we haven't gotten we, there yet yeah right it, it hasn't happened yet in the books to find out that she was the one who like officially killed yeah killed killed joffrey um but doesn't baelish in the i'm in the game of thrones verse doesn't isn't it is it baelish we find out he's also involved in it that that's one of the speculations that baelish did it um it, it's kind of still up in the air I, they were honest, working together right 
I don't know if people is that, think isn't, isn't, isn't that in the show? I think I'll, I'll look that up because I thought that in the was... show, I'm not sure. In the books, right. it's it's just it could be different at this yeah. point. Um, but that could be it. But also, um, I believe Sansa does say that she might be going off to High Garden to um, um, Dantos, right? Oh, you're correct. Yeah, which so, is happening. And then Baelish yeah. is supposed to be working with Dantos to get her on. Well, the he ship, is. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so I yeah. think that's probably where he learned it, right? Yeah. Because Baelish, because Don Sir Dantas is a spy for Baelish. Yes. Yeah. So that's where he learns it from, then I would say. Uh now whether there's backdoor communication between the Tyrells and, and Baelish, I have no idea. Uh, I think they both want to see the Lannisters off the throne. Uh, but I, I really I have no no idea. Uh, it would kind of make sense because Baelish would probably want someone to back him uh if the Lannisters were to be dethroned, right? To take the veil, because that is one of the big things here. People are like, you know. Baelish can take the veil without any armies or anything if he can go do this. But Kevin Lannister is like, uh, these highborn people in the veil are very dangerous and they are not going to accept Baelish. And he ends up being right. Right. We, we see yeah. that happen. Um, Kevin Lannister, by the way, MVP. What a great character. G gives Tyrion a little kiss. I was so happy. Mm -hmm. Someone finally being nice to Tyrion. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's another. That's one of the things I'm most excited for, in all honesty, about Winds of Winter, since they did him so dirty in the show, yeah, is to see just how big of a deal it is when Kevin Lannister's not there. Yeah, I mean, he gets murdered in one of the coolest like post-credit scenes of all time, and what the fallout that's going to be is going to be Cersei going Mad Queen, I think. Yeah, uh, and and who knows if the set blows up? We don't know that yet, but. Uh, Kevin Lannister is such a good character in the books and uh, him being like the right hand man of Tywin and Tyrion being like he's never had an idea that Tywin didn't have first and just them painting that picture of him is really cool. Yeah, it's oh, it's so good. So I, I pulled a, one, of, one of the things I want to pull up here just from this is like the beginning, because I think honestly, this little segment here completely sums up exactly where we're at in this, not only this chapter, but where everything like so many things have been moving in the backgrounds for the past couple of chapters mm -hmm. behind the scenes, right? Like remember we last, one of the last times we were talking about the rumblings of the red wedding, right? Oh, like, you know, this is things that are being implicated. We just yeah, haven't really talked about it. So they're all in this chamber meeting, which is now like totally different because there's all these new players there. People are moving around seats. Uh, and I think Tyrion sums it up very well here. So Tyrion had claimed Pycelle's old place at the foot propped up, by cushions so he could gaze down the length of the table. Disposed, Pycelle had moved up next to Cersei, about as far from the dwarf as he could get without claiming the king's seat. The Grand Maester was a shambling skeleton leaning heavily on a twisted cane and shaking as he walked, a few white hair sprouting from his long chicken neck in place of a once luxuriant white beard. Tyrion gazed at him without remorse. The others had to scramble for seats. Mace Tyrell, a heavy, robust man with curling brown hair and a spade-shaped beard, well-salted with white uh, Paxter red wine of the arbor, stoop-shouldered uh, stoop and thin, and bald head uh, fringed by tufts over orange hair. Mathis Rowan, Lord of Golden Grove, clean-shaven, stout, and sweating. The High Septon, a frail man with white uh, with wispy white chin hair, too many strange faces, Tyrion thought, too many new players. The game has changed while I lie rotting in my bed and no one will tell me the rules. Yes. And one of the things that stuck out to me as significant in this chapter is that the High Septon is here and Tywin Lannister kisses his ring, which obviously Tywin Lannister in his head is not thinking, oh, the High Septon so much above me that I have to kiss his ring. He is saying I'm, I'm giving the illusion of this structure. And Cersei is the queen and is even answering the Tywin Lannister, right? So it's just, 
it just this shows that the um the kind of the hierarchy that's here but the high septon's here and this is the guy that's going to end up imprisoning and they are they are talking very freely around the septon because they assume he's just like the last septon right um I, I am i am right in assuming this is the septon from a feast for crows i don't have that wrong do i um i will i will pull you know what i may have that wrong i think i'm i thought the septon died in blackwater bay or went missing or something like that because they said they need to crown him the high septon yeah so actually it's kind of interesting because so the no the new high septon is in a storm of swords was selected by Tyrion lannister um in the in chapter seven. Oh, uh wait wait hold on so I know actually the funny thing is, so it's just a high septon, but you don't find out until Cersei two of a feast for crows that this is a new high septon. So I think so. Oh yeah. Happens. Yeah. There's a new high septon in feast for crows. I'm sorry, folks. My bad. There's a lot to keep track of. I would, I was just thinking like, Oh, like this guy's just sitting here, listening to all these people talk about their sins. Well, no, but it, it looks, it looks to me, um, and maybe I'll have to do some more digging here, but that the, the high septum that's sitting there is actually a new one. Yes, he is but, new, but he's not. The, but we don't. Not, yeah, we don't find out that he is that this high septum is new until a feast for crows. So, so, so maybe just a George must have been like, eh, maybe I want to yeah change that around. Yeah. And it has to do with uh, Lancel and, and Cersei and the confessions and all this other stuff. And yeah. and yeah, so there's a whole other thing. So I'm wrong about that. But still, you do see the hierarchy and that the High Septon does have a place of power. And he's sitting here on the, the small council. Um, yes, but very... this this High Septon is not the High Sparrow. Right. Yes, that's that was where I got confused. So my yeah. apologies. No, no, that's a good that's a good point. Yeah. To get it. Yeah, to get to, to get to get it cleared up. Oh, so one thing I wanted to say is we see a changing of the guard here and a changing of the small council. One thing I would love for us to do, and I hope we remember this, whenever Tywin dies and they have that first small council and a feast for crows with Cersei and she has all the new people around her, like Waters and and whoever else I can't. Um, what's their names? Not Moonboy. The other people she slept with. Oh, my God. I'm just. Oh, the, um, the Kettle Blacks. Yes. yes. So whenever that new small council comes, I want to compare this chapter which is like the new structured small council compared to that small council chapter and watch Cersei navigate it. And then think about how time when navigated it. I think that would be a really interesting parallel. That would be. Yeah. Um, wow. I mean, there's, there's honestly so much to break down here. So again, we're just gonna have to do big takeaways to, cause to even try to uh, do this as like one big thing. It's just, it's just too hard. So um, continuing on here, Jimmy, uh, some of the other things I think that really, there's a lot of moving pieces, right? Like as, as we said, but I think some of the biggest stuff leading towards the red wedding, which you do hear Tywin talking a, a little bit about, obviously he never says the red wedding or anything. And then at the end, once everyone leaves, but Tyrion, he kind of reveals a little bit more of his plans to everyone. But you also hear about a lot of the crazy stuff going on around Westeros itself, including like, Oh, the night's watch is calling and saying, Hey, we've got some issues here. Yeah, Night's Watch, and and we see the the big part of this that George wants us to see is that Tywin writes it off, thinks about how he can maneuver around, maybe even ally with Mance Raider. Hey, who knows? And th th there's no actual consideration of the threat. Tyrion thinks about the wall, which is interesting, but it's not just the wall. We hear about Krakens, and they say not Greyjoys, or real Kraken off real the Kraken. But the weird thing is, and this is what I wanted to ask you about, is then he reports a three-headed dragon being Barris. 
Yes, Varys says it's a three-headed dragon being born, which is not true. That's a false report, but there were dragons born. So is Varys, if that story is inaccurate, is the Kraken story also possibly inaccurate as well in some way, shape, or form? Like maybe it wasn't a Kraken, maybe it was an octopus, right? And my question is, is Varys giving them the real account? Or is he changing the report on purpose to make it seem outlandish so they don't take the threat serious of a foreign invader? I 100% think Varys is, is changing the report because the Kraken deal, the Kraken deal could, of course, be real. Mm -hmm. But Varys knows better about than the three-headed dragon. And he sandwiches, he knows, he, he sandwiches he know, yeah, the he, dragon. Yeah, he, he, he knows Daenerys is out there, 100%. Mm -hmm. And, and we, he knows that Griff is coming. So I think he makes it more outlandish than it actually is so that they laugh. They're almost like, you know, he knows they're going to brush it off. And then he he sandwiches it between a Kraken and then the others without saying the others, but like north of the wall. And he sandwiches in this like three headed dragon, which does seem to be the most ridiculous of the three. I I think Varys was playing some games here and just trying to keep well, away. And you know the funny thing the funny thing too is when he talks about it he just says there's a three-headed dragon being born in Karth. He doesn't say it's Daenerys Targaryen or anything else. He just reports it as a three-headed dragon in Karth. Yes, doesn't give any other details. Again, making doesn't, it seem doesn't like say because because obviously some of the people on that, not everyone on that council, but some of the people on that council were that were present when Robert and Ned were arguing, like Pycelle would know mm -hmm. that they're specifically talking about Daenerys Targaryen and her her three dragons. Crazy. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Oh, and Pycelle, Pycelle doesn't say anything or think anything. Oh, you know? Tyrell laughs it off. He's like, oh, it sounds like there's tidings everywhere about things being, you know, found in birth and spotted. Brr. And it's like, bro. You're going to burn. <laughs> You're going to mm -hmm. burn bad. Mm -hmm. um, one, one thing I wanted to note about uh, Targaryens and the Tyrells is we get like a little bit of the backstory here. And, you know, basically talking about Dorne and Tyrells not getting along and whatnot. And I've always told you that I felt like there was significance in the fact that like that I, I think that Marjorie Tyrell is going to try to become infatuated or involved with young Griff and she's going to lose her head. And I think the Tyrells playing, you know, the slide in moments are going to come to an end right there. And the way that we could do it is the fact that the Dorn and Tyrells are at odds with one another. And if young Griff were to take like uh, Alice or um, um, help me out here, I I'm forgetting her name already. Who? Um, the Dorn Do Dorn daughter, Dorn daughter. Uh Alisane? Oh, um, Alisane? No. Oh, God. I got to look it up. I, I know. I feel, I feel dumb today, folks. I'm sorry. Um, but anyways, it does. Uh, it, regardless, there's going to be a marriage between Griff and one of uh, Dorian's, uh, Oberyn's daughters, right? I keep saying, uh, I keep interchanging them. I'm, I'm doing such a poor job now. Uh, <laughs> so a relationship between Dorn and young Griff could put them at odds with the Tyrells. And then if the Tyrells were to show up with Griff and try to make a marriage. Ariane. Thank you, Ariane. I knew it was. I, I know. I was, I was blank. I was blank. I was blanking on it too today. Yeah. I always want to call her uh, Ariana. And I know that's not her yeah. name, but that's what I always read it as because, you know, dyslexia. Right. But All right. anyways, so if she were to become romantically involved with young Griff, then uh, Marjorie Tyrell doesn't just become an, uh, someone that's offering up her hand, but she becomes an enemy. And then that could lead to possibly the Tyrells being decapitated because we hear about the, the siege of storm's end and the battle with Robert. That was like not completely clear about how is one, who it was one. And Tyrell, it does not really have uh, you know, commanding, 
power in the field. And a lot of people have speculated that he's actually going to give up Storm's End to Young Griff. And I could just see that playing out in a way where then he's like, hey, I gave you Storm's End. Here's my daughter. And then, you know, you, you have a Martell sitting there saying, hey, take her head off. Yeah, like, she's been playing this game all along. Take her head off right now. And I, I, I that's kind of where I see it going. But I could be wrong. I mean, I'm probably wrong. I can't even remember her name half the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's that's the thing about this chapter is this chapter is honestly, I mean, it feels like the most middle chapter of the entire series because it's like all these moving pieces. And now we're hearing about them in this huge council, which is also an insanely cool way for George to just do this narratively in that we've had all these moving pieces and everything. And now we get to see all the things that are going to be happening from this perspective here um, because everyone's because the next chapter we have is a Catlin chapter. So it's just the way you sort of do things where it's like bad things are we hear about bad things that might be coming to some of like our favorite characters and you kind of forget about them. I think when you go, when you fall into a main, a new POV, like Catelyn's POV is like, we forget about the fact reading it like, Oh yeah, no, the red wedding's totally being planned. And so sometimes you don't see it, right? Sometimes you don't see the implications from it or anything. Yeah, man. I just feel like there's, there's layers upon layers and there's so many like minor people mentioned, right? Like mm -hmm. uh, Lord, uh, what is it? Alistair Florent, I think, right? Mm -hmm. Which is uh, Tyrell's Bannerman. He's mentioned. Uh, there's mention of Renly and Stannis. Tyrion is thinking about the battle and how everyone is giving yes. credit to Renly's ghost instead of him. Right. What do you think? What do you think about the idea that Tywin legitimately is like is fine with Mance Raider coming over the wall? Oh, I think it's so. The whole Greyjoy thing is fascinating to me that they that. I think it's Tyrell. It's like, ah, let him have the North. Who cares? And then, you know, Tywin's kind of like, let him get a belly, like a, what he said, a hard win Northern winter. You know, they're, they're, they're heading their autumn right now, but let him have a hard Northern winter and then they'll be, they'll be done. And the Northmen are going to have a belly full of Krakens. And then Tyrion's going to look like a hero rolling in with a stark air. You know, it's just like, wow. It's, he's, he's steps and steps and steps ahead. Yeah, and then he's thinking, well, if Mance Raider comes down, here's what he's thinking. Mance Raider comes down, hey, maybe we'll give him some help. He'll take the north, and then we'll smash him. Right, and that's one of the things that I, and again, this is a, you know, it's a book. It's a, it's a show-only scene, but I have to imagine that that it was done as that it was done at some point in in the in the books right one of the best scenes of the show and is the conversation between robert Rathian and cersei where he's talking about why he legitimately fears a dothraki army yes you know and he's like the fist and he's like one army so in first of all, it's mark addy just absolutely crushes it it's it's like pure fire the whole thing does Tywin does, is Tywin just think, oh, that's a war we'll fight for another day, or does he actually is he actually fine with it? Because Tywin fights with the Moon Clans, yeah. Right? I mean, he he lets the Moon Clans fight with him, so he's just like he's like soldiers are soldiers. I don't really care who they are. Yeah, I I think he's willing to also like fight wars, like proxy wars, almost. Like he is totally okay with like helping behind the scenes, right? Like no one knows that there's a fray connection here. And also, by the way, you know, when one house that's not mentioned at all in this chapter, and I think it's on purpose, the Boltons. Yo, hundred percent massive uh, figure in the, no one really considers them here. And Tywin certainly doesn't bring it up. Yeah. You know, not reading, reading about the Boltons taking Hall should have been the, sh like the sheer fire thing of, 
I would have, I really wonder, I would love to get somebody's opinion to somebody who like read this before the show came out. Right. Mm -hmm. Because when you're seeing that the Boltons have taken it, that should be a surefire indicator that the Boltons are no longer with the Starks. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that seems really obvious now that, you know, when you read it, um, especially when the phrase are like, oh, we're leaving Hall because our house has been dishonored. And it's like, well, they're going home because they're preparing. Like, you know, it's just like little things like that that you just like glance over. Um, one of the things in this chapter. Also, how did also how did. How did like. I don't think that did we ever get news? I don't I don't think Catelyn has ever said in a chapter or anything about the Boltons. They, they should be the Starks men. I don't think they ever even mention it. No, it kind of goes under the radar. I mean, it's not like I don't think it's clear to everyone that where, where the Boltons stand at this point either. Like the whole betrayal is not like. Like everyone has a spooky feeling about the Boltons, but no one is like outright like they're not with us anymore. That's right, because I guess they just kind of take the castle. Like Arya shows up and they've already taken the castle. Like Tywin's mm-hmm. men roll out. Yes, and then yeah. we'll see the so, conversation between Jamie and him later. So yeah, so it may just be maybe it's just assumed that the Boltons like yeah. took it afterwards. There's nothing like publicly saying that you know that they're they're not no longer there. And honestly, the Boltons could say, "Hey, we got Winterfell back, w- waiting for you." Even though we know they have no interest right. in turning it over, they're gonna, you know, it's gonna be burned to the ground, and they'll use it for whatever. Here's a question: Are you ready? Mm-hmm. Where is Tyrick Lannister? That's good. That is, that is a good question. Because know- Tyrick has quite vanished. Nobody knows. I don't know if he's ever gonna show back up again. I think honestly, oddly, that is one of the one of our best performing YouTube videos. Uh so we did a theory it's... about that like a couple of years ago. I don't know that he's ever gonna come back. I think that's just a George R. R. Martin, here's a fun little thing, and maybe there'll be an allude to it. Yeah, I don't I don't think so. Because you don't really ever see him. You just hey, he's here's a guy who's missing. I don't know that it's gonna become a thing. Well, George mentions it like a couple times. That's why it's interesting. Uh and a lot of people in the fandom believe that Peter Baelish uh, purposely had him kidnapped for a high quality hostage, uh, maybe as an insurance policy on something. I, I really don't know. I have we would need to you know go back and look through um, what we found prior to this, but then like look at some more new stuff. But some people think he's in the veil. Some people think he's in Bravos. Uh, I've actually heard some people say that Arya has a scene with him later. There's like an unnamed person in Bravos. And people think it's Tyreek Lannister, but like, I don't know for a fact uh, that it would be. So do you, here's a question for you uh, regarding this chapter. When Baelish is offering himself to go take Liza Aaron and they talk about Liza Aaron a little bit and Tyrion thinks, thank God, you know, I'm glad I'm sure Jamie's glad he didn't have to marry her. And I'm real glad I didn't have to marry her when Baelish offers to go do it. Tywin almost is just relieved. It's like, okay, here we go. Here's a, this will solve that problem. Tywin has to, do you think Tywin overlooks Baelish? Could we never get to see it, obviously, because Tywin dies. But do you think he overlooks him? Because Jamie, Jamie and Cersei both legitimately state in their chapters that they over, that they overlook, not essentially overlook him, but Jamie, there's a chapter in, I believe it's a dance with dragons where he's, he's talking about who they could put as like hand of the king you know, and he, he thinks of Baelish for a second. And then he thinks, no, Baelish is a joke. Like, I'm not going to put him as like, not even I'm worried about him or anything, but just like sort of thinks that, that Baelish is now nah, I mean, he's, he's not even yeah. good enough to be. 
so I think it's because he's hiding in plain sight in a lot of ways. Like in this chapter, he literally says like at one time I would not have been good enough for Liza Aaron, but as the Lord of Harrenhal, I am now plenty good enough for a Tully. And he's, I mean, he's obviously a climber. I think, I don't really think it's a secret. I think everyone just kind of doubts him. And then to be fair, Tywin did grant him that. It's not like, you know, Baelish was useful to Tywin. Tywin put him there. Tywin is a hundred percent a believer. If I made you, I can ruin you. And I don't think he at all considers Baelish to be a major player, but we see that Baelish is a uh, very vindictive, petty, creepy little man. And he is uh, without a doubt aiming for a higher thing. Like he wants to be on the iron throne. So I also think that yeah, is slightly under like he, he's yeah. looked over. And I think that's also some of the importance of this chapter too. Like you can come back to this chapter and see, as we said earlier, man, it seems like Tywin Lannister is putting a master class on of being hand mm -hmm. of the king and all these political things. But we know for a fact, certainly we know Varys is has his own agenda and Baelish is doing it and they're doing it right here on this council in front of, yeah, you know, no, Tywin as Tywin is also orchestrating the Red Wedding. So yeah. it's like he's got this huge hidden card up his sleeve and maybe just like I'll just deal with it all afterwards. So even like the the greatest of great players are still not you can't account for everything. everything everything yeah and i mean you could argue that maybe there's a chance if tywin hadn't been sleeping with shay that he wouldn't have killed his dad yeah i think that was the final straw i think that's what put him over the edge i think tywin might have actually been able to talk Tyrion down because i think even at this point Tyrion would love if tywin just said son i love you like he would love that oh, 100 percent. So uh and, and i think you kind of get that feeling uh, because he has a lot of sympathy for Cersei in moments where he's like, I don't know if I should laugh at her, or if I should cry. Uh, and then he's he also the whole Lancel thing. He thinks Cersei is poisoning Lancel, which I think is actually Tyrion being a bit um, paranoid. I think that this is maybe a little bit of uh, unreliable narrative. Like we, we would read that and then think, oh, yeah, that makes sense. But Tyrion is very suspicious of his sister for good reason. But he is taking it a little bit too far. I think the best part of the chapter, though, Matt is whenever Tywin suggests that they would marry her to Balon Greyjoy, Cersei. Oh, I know. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> you, oh my God. <laughs> I put LOL. You will marry, that's, that's, that's why the meme, you will marry the Night King uh, came about. Right? It's so yeah. funny, dude. He literally is a way. He he has a he has a legitimate point though. And I was almost, he almost <laughs> should have, he almost should have asked her, Flat out, like, well, then who do you like? Who do you want to marry? Well, he did. He said, "I'll give you a choice." You know, I and you know, I can understand that might not be suitable. So I'm willing to hear within your reasons, like why you right. shouldn't marry these people and who you would marry. And Cersei just says, "I'm not marrying anybody," because obviously, right, she's which is all which, right, which is right. Of course, she says, "I don't want to do it." And the funny thing is that Tyrion's in the same boat, where Tyrion doesn't want to marry him, but Tyrion doesn't. She reveals her intentions a little bit more than I think Tyrion does. Well, she sucks at the Game of Thrones, so. Right. Which nice. is funny because right. Which is funny because Tyrion just he, he has a legitimate argument for not wanting to marry Sansa because she's still really young. Well, she's flowered. OK, well, I didn't know that. But, you know, there's other like there's other more suitable things too. you like, you know, what if Rob Stark wins wins more battles or he has a kid or, you know, there's a lot of things that marrying Sansa we could use her as a piece for trading, whereas Cersei is just like, I just don't want to marry anybody. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you she's know, being unrealistic. She's she's yeah, she's being super unrealistic. Although it would suck to totally marry her to Willis Tyrell, which 
Littlefinger, as we said, is the one who brings it up. So Littlefinger has now heard from Dantas that this is what's happening and he's making his own moves. That's the crazy thing about really a storm of swords. It's actually in a way almost funny that George names this book a storm of swords when really this entire book is almost like a storm of ravens because it's really the ravens mm -hmm. and the back handed like things that are happening under the scene. I mean, just think about this book in general. You think about the things that happen. I mean, like Littlefinger is doing his own thing where he wants to get Sans out and go use the veil and take it as a seat of power to where he can do whatever he wants to once he's got like one of the big pillars of of Westeros, one of the seven kingdoms of, and of Westeros. Right. Exactly. Varys is doing his own thing. Like here, yeah. uh, Tyrion is doing his, everyone is doing these. There's way, this book probably has the most political maneuvering. Yeah, this is one of the best chapters in this book, which is my favorite fantasy book, favorite book of all time, honestly. Um, it's at least in the running for it. And this is a chapter you could just, you could literally make a chart and and take every character that's sitting at this council and show their motivations, where their current status is, what they want to be, and uh, where they'll end up. And Peter Baelish 100% knew by busting up the Willis Tyrell Sansa thing, he gets Sansa, but also he had to be thinking like, man, Cersei's got to remarry at this point. Like I can get her out of the red keep. I can literally exactly. get her out of the red keep and, and clear my way. Do you think Ty if Tywin had married Cersei to say Willis Tyrell legit, if he had, if he had actually been able to pull that off and marry and marry off Tyrion to Sansa, Tyrion to Sansa, which he did, but yeah, like, do you think he would have also, do you think he would have been more involved do you think do you think he would have at some point removed Joffrey? No, I think Tywin still has full confidence that he can control Joffrey. Um, it's clear that he thinks he can control everyone. So I think I don't, he would I don't know, man. It's like Mad King 2.0 and he was there for that. Yeah, but this time the last name is Lannister and not Targaryen. So I think Tywin's Ty, Tywin has blind spots. I mean, honestly, his children. I mean, he turns a blind eye to a lot of stuff. So I think he would be willing as long as the Lannisters were on the throne and had the appearance of it. And let's be honest, Joffrey's not at this small council meeting. Tywin is the throne. He's the throne in everything but but name. And also, if he's not on the throne, he doesn't have to remarry, which is the most hypocritical thing. Tywin Lannister, this whole series is a hypocrite. He didn't remarry to, to help the house to standard with other families because it hurt him too bad when his wife died. Uh, and now he's making his kids do it, especially with Cersei. Right. And mm -hmm. he talks about how you can't have whores. You can't have this and deflowering the name. And then he was sleeping with the whore the whole time. I know he he's could, and all he could have, he could have said, I want Marjorie Tyrell. That's I what I'm the, saying. Why did he, he could, remarry anybody? He could have said, I want, you know, the most beautiful woman in, in the realm and secured an alliance there and still said, and also another Tyrell is going to marry Joffrey. I got one of, for you instead of Sansa. He could have married a Dornish woman. Yeah, they would, he could they have. would never do it. They would never do and it. They, but, <laughs> but that would have secured that, right. Because he does try to, he does try to here in a bit. Once Oberyn shows up, he does try to fix that. When when Oberyn mm -hmm. shows up, he tries to he tries to fix the alliance with Dorne. Yeah. So yeah, I, I mean, mean, he is he he is in a way trying to surround the Starks. Yes, because he he's is. already got he's already got the Boltons working for him. He's already got, uh, he's now, you know, he knew he's got the Westerlings doing their thing in order to sort of, you know, fix, to fix that. 
Tywin is trying to do a Reigns of Castamere 2.0 on the Starks, but he's doing it politically. He is literally right. destroying their house. Uh, full. You know, the other funny thing is that the is that the Freys are the ones left standing by. The whole funny thing is that Walter Frey is the super proud man who wants like to be respected by all of these like houses as like an old significant house, especially River Run. You know, mm -hmm. he wants he wants to have legit and Tywin. He, he, Frey doesn't even realize what Tywin did. Like Tywin set up Jane Westerling to screw over Walter Frey, but he thinks, oh, it was just Rob Stark. Like that's how good of a political maneuver he is. Yeah, he's just doing all this stuff behind the scenes. I mean, he is he's the he's the best. He's the it's best, insane. but still has faults. Peter Baelish right. might end up being the best. Who knows? Yeah, we'll we'll have to see. So okay, let's uh continue on a, a little bit here too. Um, to some to some of these other things that are sort of mentioned to some of the other things that are, that are mentioned in here. Um, what do you think? So what, what do you think about like when, when Tyr Tyrion here, not wanting to marry Sans? And I know we talked about that a little bit at the beginning, but I kind of want to want to bring it back up here. Do you think he gives away that really the whole reason he doesn't want to is because he wants Shay? Like if you're Tywin, are you hearing all of these excuses or do you think some people are viewing these excuses as somewhat legitimate? No, I, I think that, I mean, it's so such a good move. I think this is probably where Tywin is thinking that there's something else going on here. Yeah, you think this it's is obvious. where he really, where he realized, this is where even if he had suspect, I mean, I, I think he probably knew at this point. Is this where Tywin starts sleeping? He was trying to give him a way out. Yeah, I think he was trying to give him a way out. Yeah. Yeah. So you think this was more, this was a like a final, perhaps like legitimate olive branch? Yes, this is the final olive branch before uh, things break down. But also think about it. I mean, he does end up marrying Sansa. Um, he does. So so he, he kind of goes through with it. But, you know, this is the human heart and conflict with itself, which is what George's stories are all about. I mean, Tyrion does know how significant this is politically. But uh, he, he can't help but to love Shay. Also, the yeah. lines about like. I've never had like a woman like love me or something like that, or wants me in their bed. I would rather have a woman that wants me in their bed. And he was like, you're a fool. If you think the whores want you in your bed, like, yeah. Dang. Yeah. All right. Let me, uh, let me dive into some, some, uh, some of the comments here. Uh, so somebody saying, I think Tywin makes a pretty good case for Tyrion. First, no other family wants to marry a dwarf, but they can force Sansa. Second, he's as close to um, as close to Lord Tywin as anyone can get. So it really seals the deal for the Lannisters if they're in charge of the North as well. Mm -hmm. uh, it says Littlefinger knows any marriage would take place before the wedding where Tyrion would be framed and can't guarantee a trial will annul the marriage. Because, of course, yeah, Littlefinger is... He wants to get Sansa here too, and, and of course, you know he's not even doesn't even get an opportunity to say anything about uh, uh, him marrying Sansa, which is also kind of interesting because it would be much more interesting if if Littlefinger, you know, had had been there to say something to speak up about that. Yeah, because that could reveal his hand. So, um, but they also going to say here, but I suspect that he has a large part to, uh, in framing Tyrion. He's already framed Tyrion because uh, yeah, he does try to frame Tyrion with the dagger. Mm -hmm. way back never yeah, little dude. To, yeah little finger tries to so yeah what's little fingers deal with Tyrion? does he just have a deal with him in general i think he thinks he, he's an easy out i think that he thinks Tyrion is a dangerous i think he thinks Tyrion is capable from the get-go yeah from he knows he's very capable he's by looking at all the children and being like that's the one i gotta worry about yeah see that's why i do think it will ultimately it um yeah it'll 
Littlefinger's involvement in this. I think it's Littlefinger and the, mm-hmm. as well as Elena Tyrell. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I mean, I, I should say I could see it. Um, if it went the other way, I wouldn't be surprised, but I could definitely see them, um, him having some more of backdoor relationships. It's not, we don't uh, super, uh, it's never officially, officially stated. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so there's another, there's another piece of the puzzle too, is all of these things going on. So, you know, if you think about some of these other people, do any of these other people really know that the Red Wedding is going to be happening? Does Baelish know? Does Varys know? I do wonder... I do wonder if Varys knows. I don't think Baelish knows. I think I think maybe possibly at this point you could start piecing some things together. But also remember, we're talking about Rob Stark's betrayal. He he even says that I haven't saw fit to tell the small council yet. So they don't know about Rob Stark's betrayal at this point, at least from Tywin's mouth of the phrase. Okay. Only Cersei and Tyrion know at this point. Woo, crazy chapter. Anything else? Is there anything else you want to dive into, like specifically on it? No, uh, I just thought, you know, uh, we could probably do a whole episode on uh, Tyrick Lannister and revisit that at some point. That could be a fun, uh, you know, little side episode or something on Patreon we could do. Um, But there's just uh, a lot. And I think if, you know, you want to see why George has such a tough time writing these books at, at times, it's because of things like this. I mean, every character, even with just subtle things, is being given um, a place in the story and in the timeline of what, we're, of what we're living and experiencing when we read these books. I mean, ba- Baelish's stuff is very, like, brief, but you can really extrapolate a lot of information and kind of his mindset. And it's just, George does the best dialogue and the best characters, man. He truly does. Yeah. Well, actually, one one little thing here I do have highlighted here. So Baelish does speak up at one point here saying, I ought to write Rob Stark a stern letter, Littlefinger was saying. I understand his man Bolton is stabbing goats in my high hall. It's really quite unconscionable. Ooh, is this Baelish tipping his hat that he kind of knows? I think so. Because Sir Kevin Lannister clears his throat. As regards to the Starks, Balon Greyjoy, who now oh shit, <laughs> no, you're right, bro. That's what That's it right. is. I forgot because it's 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 such a this chapter's so big. Wait, so I gotta look. On. I'm looking back. Now is my the veil stuff yeah. post that? Is the veil stuff post that? Yeah, because that's like that's like one of the first things said. Bro, that is Baelish saying I have some information that I'm privy to that you might not like, and then them rewarding him with the the Liza Aaron stuff. Yeah, see, so then oh Cersei says he ought to be he ought to be offering fealty, snaps Cersei. But what right does he have to call himself king? This is when they're, so they're talking about Bay, uh, Balon Greyjoy, right? Uh, yeah. By right of conquest, says Tywin, King Balon has stra- has strangler's fingers round the neck, which is also kind of interesting too. Um, oh yeah, be- just because it, he's talking about like the neck, as in the place of the neck. But in a way, I also kind of assumed that as like George perhaps hinting that Balon Greyjoy is going to go. I mean, you know, you know, it's just like the no, idea of stranglers strangles somebody. And also uh, he says he wishes he right. could strangle Cersei in this chapter. Right. Yeah. So I always just, I always, you know, it's just the way George loves to play with the words there. Yeah. You know, Rob Stark's heirs are dead. Winter is fall. Winterfell has fallen and the Iron Man hold moat Kaelin, Deepwood Mott and most of the stony shore. King Balon's long ships command the sunset sea and are well-placed to menace Lannisport Fair Island and High Garden, should we provoke him? You know, and then they say, you know, the, again, the Balon Greyjoy's out there, but, but everyone knows Balon Greyjoy is a freaking joke. 
<laughs> I like, does anybody ever take Balon Greyjoy serious? No. I don't know that they, other yeah. than so, actually, the only person who maybe might is Catelyn, who's like, I just don't think we should mess with them. Yeah, he's a thorn yeah. in the side, and he has been forever for the North. So the North North have to take him a little bit more seriously. But like like Tywin yeah. says, oh, they're up in the North. Who cares? So right after that, you're correct. Yeah, is when Tywin does say Lord's Tywin's face gave no hints as to his feelings, which is a great perspective of Tyrion, who's watch sitting back and watching all these things playing. He, he Tywin says there is Liza Aaron to deal with uh, as well. John Aaron's widow, Hoster Tully's daughter, Catelyn Stark's sister, whose husband, um whose husband was conspiring with Stannis Baratheon at the time of his death. Oh, said Mace Tyrell cheerfully. You know, women have no summer for war, whatever, whatever. He's, he's talking about stuff. Tyrion surge. She did not throw me in a cell or put me on trial. He goes on to Kentucky. Then uh, my lords grant me uh, the man and I will go sort out Liza Aaron. Mace Tyrell smiles about this. Tyrion sense contempt. Uh, they, they keep going here a little bit. Um, Tyrion pushed off his cushions, bristling, but his father spoke before he could lash back. I have other tasks in mind for Tyrion. I believe Lord Peter may hold the key to the Eyrie. Oh, I do, said Littlefinger. So yes, it, it, you are correct. It is after he brings up the little thing about the Boltons. I think that that is a little bit of unspoken Game of Thrones play right there. Especially because George specifically writes the line, that Tyrion can't tell the his he he specifically sees that his father fa his father's face has no emotions. Yes, and he is not giving trying not to give anything away, and I think he's giving Baelish a couple crumbs there to be like, okay, keep the Bolton stuff under wraps, please. Like they literally clear their throat and change the subject. I mean, this is very very interesting, man. Uh, how good? Yeah. And then, yeah, then we continue on just a little bit here. Tyrion stunned, studied the Slender Man when he, after he's talking about Robert Aaron, Lord of Harrenhal, an empty honor, bugger that father. Even if he never steps foot in the castle, the title makes this match possible as he's known all along. Yes. Yeah. You know, one thing I just remembered. Yes. I think go ahead. Kevin Lannister mentions uh, Ghost of High Heart. Does he? He talks about Jane Westerling's grandmother, right? And her grandmother's the ghost of High Heart. Or am I wrong? Am I am I no. mixing it again? No, no, no. Westerling's Westerling's like great grandmother is not the ghost of High Heart, but perhaps Maggie the Frog. Maggie the it's Frog. Never, right. Well, it's never it's never explicitly stated, but it's just sort of there's like an illusion that that the whatever great grandfather, whatever, married a woman named Maggie from the same area, and there is also a Maggie the Frog that is that is there. And it's like one of those like unconfirmed sort of confirmed things. So, yeah, not not uh, not entirely. Yeah, Maggie the Frog. I think it's still mentioned, though, because they say that uh, the Westerling grandmother was called a Magi. She was from the East and all this stuff. Oh, that might be. Then, yeah, this, yeah, this might Kevin Lancer says that. And I think they're talking about Maggie the Frog. Yeah, see, and that's one of the things too with these with these chapters. Like, and that's why I love going over them, like the big things, because especially these large chapters, there's so many things. Like, I listen to it, so there's certain things that ring in my ear. I'm like, this is a talking point. This is a talking point. And then, you know, Jimmy has talking points as you know as well here too. Yeah, I, there's other great lines in here too as they're talking about things like Littlefinger's gold is made of thin air with a snap of his fingers. You know, almost Thanos-like, right? You know, more useful skill than that of yours, sweet brother heard Cersei in a voice sweet with malice. Littlefinger is a liar and uh, and black as well. Send the Raven of the Crow. Lord Tywin slammed his hand down on the table enough. Like so he is boom also like nope I have, 
I can, I think he's seeing what Littlefinger's doing, and he doesn't want them to know that he knows that he knows. Yeah, he is uh, playing chess while many of the other people are playing checkers at this point. Yeah, so. Oh, absolutely. Just absolutely crazy. What a great, uh, great chapter. Um, and yeah, we could always do another, you know, major breakdown of this, but uh, I think that's good because it's just so, so big. But guys, as always, as we said last time, if you guys want to send us Ravens for next time, we'll be in Catlin three of a storm of swords and you guys can get those to us and we can bring those up on the show. I will actually be out next week. So Jimmy is in charge. I don't know what he's doing. If he's going to do the next chapter or maybe Raven's nest or not entirely it's, sure. It's unclear. But... I don't know if I'm going to do it by myself or I might have lady Joanna back on. Um, I'm going to play it by ear. Yeah. You'll, so you'll tune in and find out. Yeah. We'll have to tune in. I'll bump those Italy numbers up uh, when we, uh, <laughs> when, when, when we get there. So with that guys, as always want to thank you for playing the game of Thrones in our next episode, we will be discussing a storm of swords, Catelyn three. And if you like our podcast, I have a mower outside and they are just going. Ham. It's fine. I'm so it's fine yeah. um, if you like our podcast, don't forget to subscribe, like us, write a review, leave a comment or send us a raven at btkcast.gmail.com or bendanypodcast.com. We'll see you next time. And remember that winter is coming.